the bow rest I'm using, it's kind of funny that you, you brought that up because I'm using a whisker biscuit, which is, um, I don't know. I, it's I, vintage. I, That's what it is. I'm it's sorry vintage. I couldn't help laughing when that came out. Welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast, presented by Exo Mountain Gear. This podcast and the gear that we produce at Exo Mountain Gear share the same purpose, to make you a more capable, confident, and successful backcountry hunter. This show is all about providing you with valuable information from experienced hunters. To learn more about the podcast or about our backcountry hunting packs, visit exomountaingear.com. Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. The topic on this episode is a budget bow build. Our guest is Garrett from the On Point Hunting podcast, and he walks us through the budget bow build that he did for under 500 bucks. He got a bow complete with all accessories, arrows, case, everything. That's crazy. And he shoots it great. So we're going to talk about the nitty gritty of his bow build getting into the decision points on you need to know about as you look at a budget bow and whether to maybe buy a new budget bow versus buy a few years old flagship model high-end bow now for a cheaper price and getting into where to spend money on accessories, where to save, and how all that comes together to get you shooting well on the cheap. Before we dive into that episode, wanted to remind you guys that this month in May of 2019, we have a giveaway from Onyx Maps as well as Ivory Holsters. So you guys have a chance to win a subscription to the Onyx Maps tools or a custom holster for your sidearm from Ivory Holsters. You can learn more about those and enter the giveaway. Just head to exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast. Finally, thanks to Greg Wagner for the feedback on this podcast. And Greg, we want to send you some Exo Mountain Gear and Hunt Backcountry podcast swag. So email us your shipping information to podcast at exomountaingear.com. And listeners, if you want to send us feedback, whether that's by email or a review in iTunes or Stitcher, wherever else you might be listening to this, we'd appreciate hearing what you think of the show and how we can make it better. And we'll pick one of you for a future giveaway. So thank you guys for taking the time to tune in and share your feedback. Let's get into this discussion on a budget bow build with Garrett Weaver. Garrett, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. How are you, bud? Oh, we're, we're doing good. How are we? Good, man. Appreciate it. Steve, how are you? Fantastic. Yeah, we're just... Uh... Sitting here talking about some death hike plans, getting excited about it. Maybe a big change in the death hike plans. We'll have to stay tuned <laughs> on that one. <laughs> yeah. So Garrett, for uh, guys who aren't maybe familiar with you, and I'm sure that many are, but go ahead and kind of give us an introduction, background to who you are and what you're up to in the hunting world. Yeah, so um, Garrett Weaver, basically from Oregon and, and uh, grew up hunting and fishing, just like pretty much most of your listeners, I'm guessing. And um, kind of got into the, the bow hunting a, a long time ago, but didn't have anybody to teach me or have any resources. And then, uh, long story short, we'll fast forward quite a few years and, um, started doing YouTube videos and how to videos and guys were really interested in learning and 
it kind of just snowballed into what I'm doing today, which is the uh, On Point podcast. And I have a YouTube channel for guys wanting to learn about bow hunting and a little bit of entertainment value there as well. But yeah, mostly learn about bow hunting and and becoming more self-sufficient with their gear and knowing, you know, what they're capable of as well as their gear and, and how to complement each other there. And it's just a, just a cool thing, man. It's, it's really fun. That is cool. You mentioned, uh, you kind of didn't have somebody to help you as you were getting started bow hunting, but these days you're, you know, quite knowledgeable. You do a lot of technical, um, explanations on the archery side of the world. Was that, how was, how did that process go for you in terms of going from, learning yourself to picking up all this technical knowledge as well? Oh, trial and error. <laughs> um, you know, my, my dad bow hunted me, you know, before I can even remember. And, uh, he just, you know, the equipment wasn't that good. He, he kind of hit that hump. I think when, you know, you're like, man, can I even do this? And then he, I think if I remember right, he lost a giant Rosie. We're, we're just talking a massive Roosevelt bowl or, uh, something like that. And he just gave it up. And, uh, he's like, you know, if I can't, can't get it done, I, you know, I want to put food on the table. So he, uh, he kind of just gave it up and then I fell into it on my own and, uh, kind of reignited his excitement for bow hunting. And, and he bow hunts only when I do now, but, um, you know, he got kind of got him back into the sport, but yeah, there was nobody, um, you know, like if I saw somebody that was doing really good at a shoot or the local pro shop guy, um, or if I read an article, you know, I would absolutely sponge everything up. I would try it. If it worked, I'd keep it. If it didn't, I'd move on and I'd kind of form my own, you know, opinions, form my own kind of just ways of shooting and then just kind of take things from the shooters that were kicking my butt to shoots and things that I saw on TV or, or, or articles. And I would just kind of build my own and it, it kind of snowballed into what it is today where, I'm still constantly learning. I don't know everything by a, by a long shot, but for the, for the guy that wants to kind of do it at home, um, you know, I, I've got a lot of that figured out. So part of what we want to talk about today is this budget bow build project that you've done. And that ties in nicely with some other things that we've done on the podcast. We've talked about budget backpacking gear, for example, and that really, you know, it relates to guys because Obviously, you know, I know, we all know this can be a very expensive pursuit, especially if you're looking at going high end on everything, right? So tag costs aren't necessarily cheap if you're hunting out of state, and then you got your bow, you got clothing, you got gear, you got packs, you got boot, like all that adds up. And so in all reality, most of the guys are going to have a, a fixed budget somewhere for sure. And I probably make some upgrades over time. But for you, what was the... What made you want to start this, I guess, like this project specifically? Were you hearing from guys that, you know, things were just too expensive? Did you just want to show kind of what was possible on a budget? What was the background that made you start this bow build? No, that's a good question. So it's kind of a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I, I buy the newest stuff every year. I'm not rich or anything. I, you know, I budget for it. But, um, you know, the the bow I had last year was RX-1. It was, uh, I think, 15 or 16, yeah, 1500 bucks locally. And then all the accessories I had on it, I was about 2,300 bucks, um, you know, in, into that bow. And it was just like, man, you know, like every year I'm supposed to do this. This is just way too expensive. And then, um, I get quite a few newer guys or beginners, uh, on, on, onto the YouTube channel. And, um, I kind of just 
built this scenario up in my head that if anybody ever was looking to get into bow hunting, I don't want them to see my channel and be like, well, I can't afford a freaking $2,000 bow. I can't afford $500 pair of boots. I can't afford a $800 pack. I can't afford all this other stuff, $120 broadhead. You know, I can't do that. And it, it just kind of snowballed into me wanting to, you know, cause everywhere I went, I heard complaining too as well. So it was kind of a, me building up this little scenario in my head, I guess, just thinking, well, I really don't ever want that to happen. But then also I wonder what I could get for, you know, a good deal if I actually tried. Cause uh, I used to will and deal when you could sell guns on the, on Facebook quite a bit. And there was a lot of good deals to be had. So I'm like, you can still do that with bows. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, so it's about two months later, two and a half months later, I had a bunch of guys on the internet, um, you know, buddies and, and myself looking for bows and, and uh, just like anybody else would, Hey, keep, keep an eye out open for a good deal. And I ran across one across the Facebook group and, uh, paid the guy's asking price and everything. He wasn't asking, you know, he's asking for a good deal and he got a good deal. I got a good deal and we were both happy. And, uh, what I'm shooting now is a boat tech BTX 31. Um, the limbs are good on it for your listeners that know about BTXs. The limbs are fine on it. <laughs> and, uh, the, um, the bow's a, a straight up shooter. I shoot it way better than I did that R, that RX one. I'm shooting, um, 20, 30 points better. It shoots with that BTX than I was with that RX one. And what year uh, is that bow? Oh, I think it's probably three years old to you. So working okay. backwards, um, three or four years old. Cause they have the rain, uh, they have this year's bow. There's one with the realm. So yeah, it, it might be a four-year-old bow. If a guy's on a budget, Garrett, um, talk about a little bit about the differences from your perspective on buying a new budget bow versus buying yeah. a used, what was like a flagship bow, maybe three, four years ago, but now costs the same right. as you know a new budget bow, if you will. So, I mean, you could walk into a big box store and drop, I don't know these days because I haven't looked, but like I know when I did it when I first started bow hunting, I think I bought a off the shelf, ready to hunt, like package, sight, quiver, yeah. everything bow for like I think four hundred fifty bucks, four hundred bucks maybe, and that was quite a few years ago. But yeah, you could do that, or you could do what you've done and buy you know what was a high end flagship premium bow that's now three, four, five years old for about that same price. So like, what are the pros and cons in doing that, especially for? the guy who's new, he's on a budget and he's maybe concerned with buying something used just because he doesn't have experience. Yeah, no, that's another good question. So I went with the, uh, the BTX knowing, knowing the issues that it had. And if you're going to buy a used bow, you need to know a little bit of a background about it. Talk to guys that have owned them, talk to guys that are unbiased, which can be kind of hard to do in the, in, in the bow hunting industry. But you know, if, if you're going to buy a bow for like my bow, I was looking at limb issues. I was looking at the angle that the cable comes off of the cam really creates a stress point there, separates the serving and can just really go through strings and cables pretty quick. So, um, you know, those are things that I knew going into buying this BTX, but it was also the, the bow had been shot like less than 20 times. It was like immaculate. So, um, it'd been shot probably less than a shop though, you know, waiting to be demoed. So, um, know what you're getting into, do your research, don't rush into something. Um, make sure you get as many pictures as you can of a limb, limb pockets, string, everything, just pictures of everything. And, um, and make sure that that bow had no issues, you know, Bowtech, their limb issues, um, pretty much ended with the BTX. That was the last year they had limb issues. Then they, 
then they change the way they manufacture their limbs. But, um, you know, used bows do come with a little bit more, they do come with more of a risk. They, they, you know, if they've been left out in a warm truck, if they've been dry fired, if, you know, the cam's been bent at all, you know, there's, there's plenty of things that can go wrong when buying a used bow, especially sight unseen, um, over the internet. But, you know, there's, there's really good deals to be had, you know, unfortunately bows, as you guys know, they're like, computers <laughs> they don't hold mm-hmm. their their value at all um you know that that hoid i had lost a lot of value just in one year and uh i didn't get near twenty three hundred dollars out of that bow last year so um you know my my personal rule of thumb is about 25 to 30 percent that bow loses its value um on average about a year and then it kind of tapers off but so you can get last year's bows usually for about 700 750 uh bare and that's a bow that's been used for one year, probably still a really good condition. And if you're wanting to wait a couple more years, you'll get that bow for four to five hundred bucks. What's and um benefits? Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say, what's some good resources you'd point people towards to do research? You know, you recommend just going to an archery shop. Is there good places online for that information? Yeah, they're uh, the best deals. Will you know? I feel bad for guys that own archery shops. The best deals probably won't be had at archery shops. Um, you know, for used bows, but they, you know, there's, there's great shops like the bow rack that do trade-ins. Um, so you can get good used bows, but you're going to be paying a pretty penny for the used bows still. Um, but you know, Facebook, I think is the number one for me personally. Um, you know, you got archery talk, which I don't really like archery talk that much. It's kind of just a bunch of guys, you know, puffing their tests, you know, having measuring contests. And I just, it just really turns me off. So I haven't had a good experience on that site. There's a lot of guys that that um, that aren't on there to help. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, is there uh, so on I, Facebook? I on Facebook, is there certain groups that you belong to that are good to, for guys to? Hey, I'm yeah. looking at this used bow. What do you guys think about it? Yeah. So if I am looking at a you know bow tech, I'll go to the bow tech owners group, and then there's a oh. bow owners group for the Matthews. There's a bow owners group for Hoyt. You know, whatever group oh. you want to belong to. Perfect. Yeah, I'm sure that's a great place not only to buy and sell, but if the guy's looking at a used bow from somewhere else, like you could go there for knowledge. Like, hey, what's the history on these models or these bows or what's something to look for? Yeah, and, you know, you can ask these guys, hey, well, this, you know, if you don't know, you can always Google it. But if you don't know and you can't find it, you know, will this cam adjust to my jaw length? Or, you know, is this brace height going to affect, you know, this or that? It's really... Um, it's a really good resource. And those, those guys, you know, you're getting the fanboys, So you're getting kind of one side of it. One out of every 10 opinions might be unbiased, but you're going to get a lot of really good information out of there, but you're probably not going to get any much negative out of those. Um, cause it's mostly, mostly fanboys on those groups, which is fine. It's great, but it's kind of, you're kind of getting always getting one side of opinions. And yeah, there's so much to go to. I've, this there's no like single answer to this one. It's a difficult thing, but I can imagine it's something guys who are newer uh-huh. might be questioning is you mentioned something such as like buying a used bow, but it's not in my draw length. And, you know, sometimes that's as simple as adjusting a module without a press. Sometimes you need a press. Sometimes a certain cam won't even go to a certain draw length so that you do have to do yeah. research there. Um, but in terms of getting, a used bow, maybe tweaking the draw length slightly and it's something that can be done. But then also a guy kind of wondering or worrying about 
timing, tuning, all those issues. Do you do you see that pro shops are like pretty open to a guy coming in with his bow that he didn't buy from that pro shop and you know, this consumer can now pay to have this used bow tuned and kind of set up if he's not super familiar with all that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just another customer walking through the door. You know, if, if they work on your bow, it's, you know, I don't know what shops charge for the most part, but you know, a string change, um, if you bring your own, own string in there, you know, it could be 20, 30 bucks. It could be, uh, you know, a retune 20 bucks. If you need to do any of that stuff, uh, change drawing, you know, that's, that's free money for them. All they have to do is do a quick, uh, adjustment on a quick tune, maybe press the bow and, and and they get you out of the shop and they made a little bit of money and, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's not like you went to a Ford dealership and then now you're taking it to the Dodge dealership or something like that. I mean, it's, um, they are happy to get you in the door. And, and I, 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 you know, sometimes I sound like I'm against bow shops, but I'm really not. Um, you know, I, I, if you get a used bow, feel free to take it to your pro shop. They would, I'm sure be happy to take it to you or, uh, take, uh, you'll take your business, but I will say some shops, you know, they may try and sell you a new one when you get in there. If you did buy a used one, um, I've had guys that were looking at buying the same bow as me uh, after after the, after I got the budget book because they started looking. They're finding good deals, and then uh, they went to their pro shop, was asking about it, and like that bow is uh, obsolete. And basically, is what they're telling them. And he's like, "What? What do you mean?" He's like, "That bow's that bow's old. You don't want that bow. You want this new bow." And they just were pu- pushing them on a new bow. I'm like, "Dude, that bow." is awesome. Like it's not obsolete just because it's three years old, four years old, whatever. And, uh, so, you know, if, if you're getting that, just kind of brush it off. But if you bring in the a used bow in there, they will absolutely, they should absolutely work on. It. I mean, that's, that's business for them. You mentioned you're shooting this, uh, this bow better than you were your high dollar bow. What do you boil that down to? Cause obviously, you know, like a Hoyt arcs, one's not a bad bow. A lot of this comes no. into personal preference, but help a guy understand like, what goes into that? Especially, you can look at all these different models, all these different brands. As you mentioned, it gets very difficult to get unbiased information. So, like, just break down some of the things that maybe a guy should consider or help him find, like, what is a good bow for me? Like, what am I going to shoot good? And all those factors. Does that just come down to trying a lot of different models? I honestly believe it does and, and shooting as many bows as you can out there. And, you know, to straight up answer your question, the reason I shoot this bow better is because it, it, it complements me as a shooter. I don't really like the spongy back walls. Hoyts are known to have a little bit of a spongy back wall. Uh, it, this was an RX one, uh, turbo. So it was, uh, way better than the previous turbos, but still, you know, if you got a little lazy, it'd pull you off the back wall is a little, a little aggressive. And so that would cause me, um, as a shooter, my reaction would be to over kind of pull against the cam and it would pull me off target. And uh, it was kind of always just in the back of my head that I wasn't pulling hard enough because I was going to get pulled off the back wall. And there was a few times where I did where I was shooting, you know, you know, 60, 80 arrows deep and then I'd get too comfortable and then it would pull me off the back, back wall and then it would just jack up my shoulder, which is my, me personally, you know, most people that get pulled off the back wall won't hurt them at all, but my shoulders are pretty bad. So it, it would, uh, it just kind of would, would, would build up into me, you know, having this mental thing where I'd pull so hard against the back wall, it'd be a little bit of spongy and until I couldn't feel the cams stop pulling anymore. I, I just keep pulling myself off target. And what I mean by that is, is when you're holding on target and then you keep pulling, if you, if you hold on target and you just keep pulling against your back wall, you'll kind of see your bow start pulling off target. And that's what I mean there. So 
Um, you know, just as he is a shooter, I like a solid back wall. Um, I don't like it. I like a really forgiving bow, a big valley, um, which is the valley is the part where the bow gets that cam over and then kind of dumps into the back wall. Um, you know, for guys that don't know, but that BTX is a smooth bow, very forgiving. You can shoot it on three different modes. Right now I'm shooting on the regular mode. I'm not even shooting it on performance. And, um, I can just sit at full draw, relax, and then keep pulling through the shot. And that's exactly what I like to do. And it has a solid back wall. So, um, it's not that the BTX is any better than, than the RX one, uh, turbo it's, you know, the RX one turbo probably pound for pound, um, is just as good as the BTX, but you know, it's just for me as a shooter, it complimented me and what I like. And, and, uh, I just, I just shoot it better. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if, if guys, if you just heard that and you're confused of terms about like back wall and volley and all that, I mean, definitely go research that and understand what it is. Cause those are big, big factors to consider. There's big differences in different types of bows and it's not that one's right or wrong, but one will kind of suit your preferences and you'll feel a lot of that. You might not know what it is, but being able to understand what those terms are and how they affect your shooting, I think is important in the long run. Yeah. You also need to look at like brace height, axle to axle, um, you know, these things, you know, let off, um, I went with, a, <laughs> I went with a less let off on that, the option on that, uh, RX one turbo. So, I mean, it was, uh, it was fast for, for a guy shooting 28 inches, but, um, you know, it was constantly accuracy and that's just one where, you know, I shot that prime, for example, the year before that, I shot that prime synergy and, uh, you know, I shot that thing super great. I mean, I, I was dead on it didn't matter what i was aiming at i was going to hit it and from going from that to to then shooting way worse with the uh, rx1 it was kind of uh you know i really liked it because of the weight and i never had a carbon bow and that's what made me buy the rx1 but um you know over accuracy overall man i mean that's really what it is for me it's it's you know looks cool carrying it out in the woods but if you can't hit the broad side of a barn with it you might rethink your game I'd love to kind of detail, you mentioned the BX-1 is the bow, but I'd love to get into, you did a full setup on this bow, meaning all the accessories and everything else. Um, we can yeah. talk about what you picked, but before we dive into that, if you were to spend money somewhere, like how would you prioritize certain accessories over others in terms of where you can save the most and just kind of get away with whatever versus where it might be worth spending a little bit more? Um, as an example, like for me... For whatever reason, a sight is really important, and that's just something I've mm -hmm. always been willing to invest in a good sight at the expense of, if I have to, I'll shoot a cheaper rest or you know have a much cheaper stabilizer or something like that. That's just me personally. Um, but wh where do you look at spending some of that money on accessories versus saving in other areas? I totally agree with what you said there, uh, 100%. My, one of my top things would be a sight, um, and then the... Uh, Preferably the broadhead, which should also be good too. But um, the sight's probably number one for me. Uh, I'm really tough on my gear, and you know, you're you're you guys are both from Idaho, right? So you guys can get those farther shots. Um, you guys are good hunting that really rugged country, and so a good sight, that one that you kind of bang around, strap to your pack, do whatever you want with, is really important. And uh, you know, I've had the cheaper sights get bumped on hunts, and it's just not fun. So. Um, a, a really good site can go a long way. And that for me is, is my personal towards the top of the list. And then the, you know, the arrow broadhead combo is very important to me as well. Um, but having said that, 
site would be number one. Bow would probably be the bottom. Um, it would be just above the quiver and just above the uh, stabilizer. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty far down there. Um, the bow rest I'm using, it's kind of funny that you, you brought that up because I'm using a whisker biscuit, which is, um, I don't know. I, it's I, vintage. I, That's what it is. I'm it's sorry, vintage. I couldn't help laughing when that came out. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure you're shooting uh, great though, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm shooting, I'm shooting it good, man. I mean, it's um, it doesn't, you know, depending on what arrow, it seems like what arrow diameter I shoot, it kind of get a different little bit of a different tune, which I don't yeah. get with the uh, with the uh, dropaways. But um, it it shoots, you know, I'm shooting out to 100 yards with it. I mean, you know, not I wouldn't say as accurately as I am with the with a dropaway, but it's pretty darn close. You'd have to really shoot well to 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 tell a difference, but. Um, you know, I shot that Turkey, uh, two days ago at 52 yards, um, and no problem. I mean, it, it was no problem. And I guarantee you when I released that shot, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about drop away versus whisker biscuit. So, um, it, you know, it's, it's really, uh, you get caught up in the, in the things that you have to have this, you have to have that. And, and guys are saying, you know, I've heard plenty of that guys say, you know, whisker biscuits are accurate past 30 yards with a broadhead, and that's just not true. I mean, there's a lot of uh, theories out there, but if you really start shooting for yourself, you'll figure out, figure out they're not true. But, um, yeah, so to get back to your question, I guess, is, you know, the bow is towards the bottom of the list. For me, boots are towards the top. Um, I walk like an idiot, and my, my, my feet get tore up. So boots, and then, you know, it would be the sight, the probably the broadhead arrow combo, and then it would be the bow, and then the rest stabilizer and and quiver uh, would be the very bottom. The quiver would be, but you got to figure out what what is for you and what's not for you. If you're just hunting out of a blind, a sight a sight probably isn't as important um, as a guy hunting backcountry. I like a slider sight. The sight that my bow came with was a two pin spot hog. It was I think it was missing three pins, and uh, the BTX one. And so it was like one of the first editions, I think it was the bulletproof. You remember that one, Steve? Yeah. 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 I'm not sure which edition that was, but it was a, it's an old spot hog. And, mm-hmm. uh, so, so the first thing I did, so I guess to tell the story better, the first thing I did when I got the bow, the bow came with, um, six GT hunters with six muzzies. It came with the whisker biscuit, that two pin bulletproof spot hog. It came with a, uh, quiver, lighted Knox and an SKB hard case. And, uh, that's, I got all of that stuff for 400 bucks plus $52 for shipping and <laughs> that stuff because 52 bucks of my budget went to shipping and the cap on the budget was 500 bucks. So dude, that's a, like with the hard case and everything though, that's a deal. That's crazy. <laughs> that yeah, dude. I, yeah. It was a and that's deal. what, yeah. Just to get, give listeners some context, shipping a boat isn't always that expensive. I'm sure it was that expensive because of the hard case and everything. But if you're shipping a bow in a bow box, which I've done quite a few times, like sometimes you, I think I've shipped one for like 13 bucks before. It's sometimes shockingly cheap. Yeah. Mine's usually around 30 to 35 ish but um yeah it's not that it's not usually that expensive even if you buy a cheap you know like bag uh soft case i think it would be cheaper than a hard case but um yeah i mean well the reason i i got that deal is because immediately when i was looking at the bill i'm like i I can sell this i can trade this 
And so what I did is I sold the hard case and then I took literally 100% of that money and it went directly into buying a used uh, new model Fast Eddie XL2 pin. And um, that literally, all that money, I sold, I think I sold that case for 120 and I got that new site for 120 which was a killer deal. And uh, yeah, it kind of just... That, that took care of the site. That was the first thing I jumped. I didn't even shoot an arrow with that, with that site on there because I knew I wasn't going to use it. Um, I kept the whisker biscuit on there. I actually lost the bracket to my quiver. <laughs> so I can't, I've been carrying around my quiver in my hand. <laughs> so my quiver's not even mounted to my bow. So I uploaded that turkey video uh, two days ago, and you could just see me walking around like an idiot with a quiver in my hand. It's like, why don't you have it mounted to your bow? It's all because I lost it. But um, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, I, I'm not using those arrows. Um, I was going to get rid of those gold tip hunters, but you can use those gold tip hunter pros. They're, they're fine arrows. Um, uh, but I started trying to do like a budget build, uh, for arrows and for a budget build for arrows, I got arrows, a dozen arrows with uh 0.003 straightness, I believe. Um, you know, which isn't a huge factor for me, but they were, um, the defender elites. Uh, by Beeman, I believe is who, who they were by, which is uh, basically Easton, and uh, put weight tubes in there, built them to exactly how I wanted them, and they were, you know, I built those for like seventy-five bucks, and they were awesome arrows, and I still have them. I might even give them away. I don't know. Yeah, that's really cool, man. I this is uh, not at all advertising. We actually had Easton do a giveaway on the podcast last month, but like, legitimately, one thing I love about them is they have something for everyone in their line. So like whether you want to spend a ton of money on something super premium or whether you want something budget, which a lot of times falls under their Beeman line, like I've shot a ton of their arrows over the years, like a ton of different models. And to be honest with you, like I've always been really happy with their stuff and I've shot gold tips and I've shot a bunch of other stuff. There's a lot of good arrows on the market, but for me, it's just one of those like over years of, I guess like just building trust with them. It's like they have something for everybody and they're just going to work, you know? You know, I've shot them for over 10 years now and it's, it's just every time I go away from Easton, I end up back at Easton. <laughs> so, um, and certainly, you know, the axis for pretty much almost every year I've hunted and, um, it, it's, man, it's, it's a good arrow. I, I can build it, customize it. You know, it's just a, it's just a solid setup. I mean, you know, is there better arrows out there? Yeah, there's better, <clears throat> there's better arrows out there, but for what I do, you know, that, that Turkey I shot, even with an expandable head, which I wasn't at, that's the first animal I've ever shot with an expandable, by the way, I got a pass through at 52 yards, which I don't, I know it's just a Turkey, but you hear about not getting passers with those expandables, even on turkeys. And I was kind of shocked I did, but I don't know if you guys have ever shot a Turkey with an expandable, but, uh, uh, uh Man, it was it was devastating. It was crazy. But yeah, a little off topic. <laughs> <laughs> How does a release factor in for you? I, for me, moving to a handheld was a game changer. And even if I didn't do it to hunt with, like just as I was newer into archery, shot with a traditional wrist strap caliper release. I honestly didn't understand how to execute a shot until I moved to a handheld release. And so for me, that's just personally something that's always on my radar for guys to maybe consider if they haven't yet. Um, not that you can't learn how to execute a proper shot with a caliper. I just think it's more difficult. Um, 
But how do you look at that? Do you think that if a guy has a bow that he's already set up with and maybe he's looking to upgrade something, would you put release kind of near the top of the list and of something to look at um, versus just buying a new model bow, for example? Yeah, that's a that's another good question, man. So I uh, I'm shooting the release I preach against, and that's the one with the uh, it's got the wrist strap, which is fine. I love wrist strap releases, but it's got that bar that isn't flexible at all, and it leads straight to the caliper or the kind of the jaw style release with the trigger. And um, I'm using that thing because I couldn't get another one in the budget, so I'm I'm stuck with using that. And executing a shot is a nightmare with that thing. It's got like a mile of you know trigger travel and it's just a nightmare to actually get a shot to go off with that thing so you know if you can get a good release that that in my priority list would be probably just below the arrows and broadheads i mean it's it's right up there and getting a good release until you have one or, or until you at least take that plunge you don't know what you're missing and you don't know how much accuracy you're losing you know this goes to a huge rabbit hole here but um, if you can get or try different releases, I would highly suggest you do it. And if you're starting off, I would try extremely hard to find somebody that shoots with back tension, even if that's, if that's with a wrist strap release, about 99 people out of a hundred don't do that. So it'd be, it might be hard to find. Um, but a good release with a good, um, process is, is critical. Um, I would say your process is more important than, than the release, and what you said there, I'll echo, a hand release has been an absolute game changer. And when I say hand release, I'm talking about the hinge I bought. And that has been the best decision I've ever made in archery because that really helped me learn back tension way easier. And so can you execute a good shot with the $40 release? Yes, you can. But, I mean, you can also make it way easier on yourself and buy a really nice release. I mean, and, and make it easy to make execute a good shot. So, um, you know, the release, the hinge I bought was a HBC. It's like a $200 release, which in the handheld releases is, is kind of common. It's kind of, I think, probably middle of the road there, maybe a little bit more than middle of the road for price. But, um, man, I mean, it's it's worth trying. If you haven't tried it, um, I, there you know, there's a few releases I would stay away from, um, in particular, like the Fang um, release that those kind of tend to go through D loops. Um, you'd have to kind of polish the, the claw, uh, the hook that goes onto your D loop. A lot of those shoot through D loops. So, you know, just shoot through them. You know, you gotta, you gotta figure out what's best for you, but there's nothing wrong with it with the, with the trigger release or a wrist strap or wrist rocket, whatever you want to call them. Uh, the thumb releases kind of easy to punch still. I mean, you're, you're, you can execute a good shot better and easier, I believe than a wrist rocket. However, you know, guys that have target panic are still going to have target panic with a thumb button. I mean, it's just too easy to punch that thumb button. I see it every time I go shoot it a shoot. So, um, a lot of times it's subconscious. They don't even know they're doing it. Yeah. So I could go on forever about that. <laughs> so, yeah. No, it is a rabbit hole for sure. I mean, we could do a whole episode on it, but I, I just feel like it's oh, important yeah. to throw out there. Cause I don't, Again, I'm biased. This is my personal experience, but I think I'd rather shoot a crappy bow with a good release than a top of the line bow with a crappy release. Yeah, well, and you got to remember if you're if you're shooting with with back tension, you know these these cheaper bows, um, you know, like a diamond in for an edge. If you shoot one, I'm not knocking it, but if you pull hard enough, you'll pull that draw stop through through the cable. And so, um, yeah, I mean, 
pop right past the cable. And then you literally have like 150% draw, you know, let, let off, <laughs> you know, you can't like, it's, it's weird. I don't know if you've ever done that, but, um, I was shooting it one time, um, cause I bought, I bought my wife one and, um, it was so light. Like I just drew, I drew right through the draw stop. I was like, Oh crap. And so, um, you know, if you're going to be shooting back tension, some of these cheaper bows, I don't think are that good, um, for them, but, uh, you know, that, that, again, that's user preference, but yeah, a, a handheld release is, is critical, man. I mean, it is a huge part of, of, of shooting. I mean, every competition shooter that shoots a gun probably has an aftermarket trigger. There's a reason. How do you look at others? Some of the accessories we've glossed over. Um, you talked a little bit about quiver, for example, we talked about your whisker biscuit, but something like a stabilizer. Um, there's all different sorts and types of stabilizers. I think from some that do nothing to some that are very effective, um, to some that are great for target, but not for hunting. Like what do you just for your average bow hunter? Again, a guy who's maybe newer, talk us through stabilizers a little bit. So there's a lot of different kinds out there. Um, and there's a lot of different configurations that a guy can do. Um, yeah, I was getting, I've actually been getting this question, you know, quite a bit is for what model, um, bow, I have this model bow, what, what stabilizer do I need? And it's like, well, technically you don't, you know, you can shoot your bow without a stabilizer. I mean, you don't absolutely need one. This is another thing that can get you accuracy. Um, obviously I shoot with one, but I mean, if you don't have a stabilizer, you don't absolutely have to have one. You can, you can do it without, but, um, you know, go with what you got. But if you want to get a good stabilizer, um, there's plenty out there. I, I like the, um, uh, the Spire tracker bar. Um, I've been using that the last two years and, uh, does really good on, on dampening the vibration. Um, you've got that telescopic one. Um, Steve, what's your mark? You guys might know which one that's called. Cross, like John, John and Blaine crossover thing. crossover. Yeah. yeah. The crossover. That's a pretty cool one. Um, so that's a really versatile one. And, um, I haven't got to play with that one yet, but I've seen a lot of good shooters using that. Um, you know, so for choosing one, my general rule of thumb is if the bow has any kick, like a, uh, like a Halon, uh, the first few of Halon, um, you'll kind of see when you shoot that bow, the bottom of the cam kicks out. I don't know if you guys ever noticed that cause that, that bow's a little top heavy. So if I was shooting that bow and this, again, this is just user, user preference, I would put probably a 10 to 12 inch stabilizer on there and I would put enough weight to where that bottom of the bow doesn't kick out and it just sits there. And that's just what I like. Um, is, you know, the more weight you add to the front, obviously the heavier the bow gets, but typically the more steady you're going to get. Um, and then you got, start getting into sidebars and stuff like that, which I haven't played with, um, just because I don't want to have to feel like I need, I need that to make a good shot. Um, but you know, there's a lot of good stuff out there. The ones that aren't really doing you any favors are the $20, uh, limb saver coil S coil ones. They're like, three or four inches long. There's a lot of really funny looking stabilizers out there anymore. And most of them to me just look like gimmicks. So, um, you know, you get, there's a, there's a lot of good ones. It doesn't have to be a, a spider. It doesn't have to be the crossover. Um, you know, there's titanium archery products making some nice stabilizers now. And, uh, really the, the, the goal of the stabilizer for me on that RX one last year was to dampen the bow. Cause that RX one turbo had quite a bit of hand shock and it needed dampening. And I like that dead in the hand feel. So if, you, if your bow has quite a bit of vibration on the shot, make sure it has a dampening aspect to it. It's just not a bar with a weight on there. Um, and just, you know, 
pieces of bone and then figure out what you need. I mean, it's really, if a good archery shop should let you try out a few stabilizers while you're there, um, there's nothing wrong with doing it. Do you think, I mean, you, one thing I wanted to ask about, and you mentioned that there's like a guy who's hearing all this information about different releases and different options and different this and different that. Um, obviously again, you can do internet research, but you got to take that for what it's worth. Like besides a pro shop, and I think a pro shop's a fantastic resource, would you just recommend a guy gets involved with like a shooting club or something like that just to get exposure to like, hey, could I try your release or what's up with that stabilizer? Like what's the best way to get kind of in-person information, maybe be able to try different things or just to learn from different guys? That's a, yeah, that's a good point though. Um, we have most, most shops have leagues. Um, and when I say league, it kind of scares people off. A lot of times it's just, you know, like my shop down here, it's like, eight or 10 guys. We all know each other. We're, you know, flipping each other crap throughout the shoot. We're having fun. And you, you know, the release swaps going on before and after, you know, guys are trying different releases and, and it's fun. I mean, and, and I learned a ton. Um, I've, you know, John Raines is a guy who's taught me a lot down here. Carl has taught me a ton. Um, uh, there's guys that, you know, even in small towns that have you know, multiple national championships, you'd never know it unless you ask them. And, um, you can learn a lot from those guys. I mean, the, just in little old Roseburg here, um, you know, we have some amazing shooters and, uh, you know, like I was shooting off versus, um, I think it was Brian Del Calo the other day, great guy, great shooter. And, um, you know, we're shooting off and after I shoot, he's like, man, you need to relax your hand. I'm like, what was, I felt like I was relaxed. He's like, he's like, I basically, he's like, he wanted to take a picture just to show me how, like death gripped I was on my handheld release on my hinge. I was just kind of like really tense because it was, it was, we, we were the final two shooters and, um, you know, just getting that feedback and refining, it's just a refining process. I really don't care how good I shoot. Cause I'm not going to go to, you know, I'm not going to go to Vegas and compete, but that refining process that I go through, through shooting that Vegas face is amazing. I will say it's double-sided. If you try too hard or you really focus too hard on it, uh, you can develop target panic. You know, I know guys that start league without target panic. And then by the end of the time, by the end of league, they're like, I need to set my bow down. Like I can't do it. So, um, you know, it's, it's double side, go into it, go into it to learn and have fun. Um, there's 3d leagues, there's 3d shoots everywhere. Um, if you're not shooting these 3d shoots, you're missing out. I mean, this is the best practice you're going to get. And there's tons of people that are gear junkies wanting to, wanting to show you what they're using and let you use it. And, and if you're not taking advantage of these uh, these weekends or these days, these weeknights, you're missing the boat. So I think you bring up a great point, Mark. Tell us, uh, guys want to learn more. I know you got some really good content. So again, you told us, you mentioned the podcast and YouTube, but tell listeners how they can get on there, check that out, and uh, see more of what you're up to. Yeah, man. Um, so On Point Podcast, we've been almost a year now, and uh, yeah, so On Point with Garrett Weaver is, is how you'd find it. We're on pretty much all the platforms, even ones I've never even heard of. Um, and the YouTube channel, just type in my name, uh, two R's, two T's, Garrett Weaver. Um, and I'll, I'll pull up and yeah, just, uh, you know, watch a few videos. If you think it's going to benefit you subscribe, um, feel free to check out the podcast, you know, very, very similar to what, what you guys do. I don't have the backcountry um, expertise that you guys do. So I really enjoy your guys' podcast and, um, uh, and, I don't know Mark as much as I know Steve, but I know Steve really knows his ways around products. He's, he's kind of a gear guy too. So um, it's just fun listening to you guys. You guys have an awesome podcast. So 
thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, thank you, man, and uh, listeners for definitely for like archery knowledge. Garrett's a good resource to go to, so go check it out. And uh, yeah, thanks for the time, bud. Awesome. Well, you guys have a great day. Well, that's a wrap on this one, guys. If you want to geek out more on archery-related topics, don't forget to go check out Garrett's podcast, On Point, with Garrett Weaver. And you can also visit his YouTube channel for videos and related content. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this show, subscribing, and sharing your feedback. Check back next week, and we'll have more great content for you.